morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good? Can you guys hear me all right? Am I good? All right. Well, thank you for joining us this morning at Grace Fellowship. Um, I'm really happy to see all you guys' faces and to see you guys here just joining us on this fine Sunday morning. Um, before we get going, I'd just like to pray as we uh, dig into God's Word and just um, discover Him together. So just join me real quick. Father God, we are so thankful that we get to be here this morning and get to join in community and in unity under your name and worship you and learn more about you and the ways you're working um, in our lives now, but what you have done in the past. Um, I pray that your spirit would speak through me and I pray that people would receive um, what they need to hear and you would speak in their lives today, God. Um, We are so thankful for everything you provide us in all of the ways that you're working in our lives. So be with us this morning and bless us throughout our week and in your name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Crosby Keel. Uh, I am serving currently at Grace Fellowship as the youth interim pastor. Um, I've been on board since the beginning of September, so only like four short months, and it has been fantastic. It's been such a great experience. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I'm truly thankful to be a part of this family at Grace. Um, So, I would just like to say, first of all, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Thank you for letting me be a part of this family and this community at Grace. Um, I've found a lot of hope here, and I've been here since 2017, actually, and every single time that I walk through the doors of Grace, it's just such a refreshing experience. So thank you for letting me take part in that, and thank you for letting me be on stage today and to just share with you guys my heart for um, this church and also just for the Word in itself. Um, So just a little bit of background about myself and kind of why I'm a part of Grace actually starts about six years ago when I was like a sophomore in high school. Um, I just kind of found this love and this joy and this passion for serving and especially youth and especially students and kids who, you know, don't have people they can talk to or people that they don't feel necessarily like welcome or warm to. And I just saw this need that kids are having and this need that kids just don't get from everyone, you know what I mean? It's just like they are looking for someone to have someone listen to them and to speak life into them and affirm them, and I saw a need for that in kids that I came across. And so as I kind of got involved and started serving in that area, I started to realize how much that actually like filled me up and how much that satisfied me, and I realized like that satisfaction doesn't come from anything else but the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to take part in that in a much more full-time and much more dedicated way. And so What that led me to do and led me to make a decision is to move out to Colorado and start attending CCU and start studying what that looks like. And so um, when I was a little baby freshman, I was walking around campus and they had like a ministry fair and they had like churches and organizations and just like stuff to get freshmen involved really. And I was looking around for like a church and I saw a couple just kind of tucked away in the corner and... uh, it read Grace Fellowship of Lakewood, and I walk over, and I was like, how's it going? My name is Crosby. What are you guys' names? And they said, we're John and Krista. Um, you know, where are you from? I said, I'm from Minnesota. And they said, no way, us too. So we had a bit of a bonding moment there, and that was super exciting. And it was especially good for me, because I was like, first time away from home for like a super long time, and it was so good to see some friendly faces, and to just see another Minnesotan a thousand miles away. I love it. Yep. So very proud of being from Minnesota. Uh, yeah, so it was super good just to meet John and Krista, and they just told me, like, what are you looking to get involved with? And I, I told them, like, well, what do, you, what do you guys have? What do you guys have to offer? And they said, uh, you know, we have, like, our children's ministry or our worship 
um, team or like our youth ministry you can get involved with. And I, I stopped him right there and I said, I would love to be a part of your youth ministry. Like, what does that look like? And they said, well, put down your info, we'll get you in contact and, um, you know, we'll get you sorted out, hopefully. And so a few weeks later, uh, Ryan Lewis, who many of you guys know and love, he contacted me and told me about the ministry. And I was, I fell in love with it. He told me about the small group of kids that were attending. And I thought that just sounded like the perfect combination. And I was totally there for it. And so uh, through the grace of God, they brought me on board as just a volunteer in 2017. And um, now two years later, I have the privilege and opportunity to be um, leading this group. And honestly, it like, it really humbles me to have that role and to be a part of that. And um, yeah, so like, thank you guys for letting me take part in that. And thank you for letting me lead your kids. And your kids are awesome. If you got kids in that group and I'm like working with them and I have like, and I know your kids, they're some of the coolest people I've ever met. And the way they conduct community and they conduct themselves and just interact with one another, interact with myself and the other leaders, um, just really shows the hearts that they have and the potential that they have. And I just want to take part in that and call them out and, and affirm what I see in them. And I feel like that's my job, is just to give them a place where they feel welcome and a place where they feel like they can come as they are and that when they come through the doors at Grace and come to youth group or Sundays here at Grace, that they know that they're loved and they're welcome. And that's just my heart for Grace Fellowship. Um, but by no means am I perfect in this pursuit of what God has called me into. Uh, ministry is very messy and it's very complicated. Um, but nonetheless, our calling as Christians is to prepare a way for our king. And even if that gets messy and that gets complicated, that's still what we're being called into. Um, but we can be confident and know that God is going to remain consistent in these situations and, his, and that his love and his grace are going to continue to pour out and that his truth is still going to be brought and that's just something I've been reminded of, especially being a little much more involved this year and much more involved in these last four months. Is just that, man, there's a lot you have to remember. There's a lot you have to schedule. And by the grace of God, um, you know, we can make our mistakes and get picked up right away by uh, God. So that's kind of what we're going to be digging into today is just this idea of preparing a way and that, what that looks like in our life and what that has looked like in the Bible um, so if you'll join me um, one more time, thank you guys again for letting me be up here. It's truly a privilege and an honor, and um, thank you for letting me work with your kids, and thank you for letting me take part in this um, journey at Grace Fellowship. Um, so our first passage I'm going to be diving into today is Malachi 3. Uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to be in Malachi 3, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. Um, it'll be up on the screen, or you can read on your phone, or whatever works for you, whatever floats your boat. Um, all right, so let's dive into this. Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of the hosts. So we are presented with a prophecy from Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament. Um, this prophecy is actually a reference and an emphasis from an earlier prophecy from Isaiah, which I'm just going to read really quickly. Isaiah 40, verse 3 reads, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So immediately we can see that through Malachi's writing, he's emphasizing what Isaiah has already prophesied. And he's emphasizing that 
yeah, this is going to happen, and you guys better start listening up, because we said it twice now, and it's going to happen very soon, or at least they hoped. So the fact that they are just emphasizing one another and complimenting one another should make us turn our attention toward what is being said. Another point that we should really take heart to is that Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and there's only four chapters, so chapter three is the second to last, so it's like the punctuation mark at the end of the Old Testament here. And this prophecy that is being spoken about a messenger coming to prepare a way for another messenger of a covenant should really make us turn our attention to what is being said. Um, So a bit of context for Malachi and his writing. So Malachi, or Malachi actually means messenger. So he is the messenger prophesying what is soon to come. And we see Malachi's heart truly revealed in his writing, in this book. This cry and this theme that he has is his plead for Israel to turn their hearts toward what God has to say and turn their hearts toward redemption because he recognizes their brokenness and recognizes where they have fallen short and recognizes their struggle. And he, he tells them, you guys got to start making some changes. And he even emphasizes what other prophets have already said about how to live righteously. And by him reaffirming and restating that, he's really making a point that his heart is so broken for the people of Israel that he truly wants them to change. And this prophecy that he speaks here is going to set the stage for what's going to happen about 400 years from when this was written. So a little bit more of in-depth kind of study on this verse right here is that the first phrase I want to focus our attention on is, it says, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with this character in the Bible, but John the Baptist is actually the one who is being referred to as this messenger. And we'll dive into a little bit later more about who he is and what his work looked like and what his role was. But that's who we should affirm and say, okay, John the Baptist is this messenger who's going to be preparing a way. And then furthermore, there's going to be this other phrase at the end of verse 1 that says, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, which is an allusion to the Messiah being the messenger of redemption and him preaching this word that John is going to pave the way for. So very clearly in Malachi 3.1, we can see that this messenger that is being spoke of that is going to prepare the way is going to be John the Baptist, and then the messenger of the covenant is going to be Jesus. And what's going to happen is we're going to have to figure out, okay, when does this become fulfilled? Is this the end? Is there just a prophecy just kind of hanging out there? Or does this ever, you know, come into full circle? And do we ever figure out who this really is, like, for sure? So, as I was kind of thinking about this, I, I just stopped at my tracks and I was like, that's a lot of suspense for these Israelites. To be left with this bold claim that says, there's a messenger who's coming who's going to preach redemption, but they never get told explicitly in Malachi who that is. It, like, they're on the edge of their seats waiting for an answer. But what happens is that 400 years have to go by until the Messiah is born. And truly, that would break my heart as an Israelite just to witness that and say, I am ready for here to hear the good news, but you're not telling me that. And I think it's just so true that Malachi is saying, well, that, that's yet to come, but right now you, still got, you guys still have work to do. And as I was thinking about this, I think we can kind of tap into this emotion of suspense a little bit. I was kind of thinking it was like if I was watching a movie or something in my apartment and I got like two-thirds of the way through, right as things were getting good, 
things are getting juicy, and my roommate comes in and turns it off at like the most pivotal point of the movie, I would have been like, dude, let me just finish my movie, right? And then he said, no, you can't, you can't finish it. You gotta wait two weeks until you can finish this movie. That would infuriate me. I'd be like, let me just finish the movie, and we'll get on with our lives, we can chat about it if you want to, and we'll all go our separate ways. But no, the Israelites didn't get to keep going through this story. They had to stop and wait. And as we can't like fully comprehend what that looks like for them, I think we can tap into a little bit of sympathy and realize that's maybe what it kind of felt like. And that's the, the suspense that they were feeling, which is super rough, and that would infuriate me. But the good news is that God is still saving people in the Old Testament, but now there's just a new method of that, and through that comes John the Baptist. So if you'll turn with me to Mark 1, that's where we're going to be going next. Um, we'll be reading about the fulfillment, fulfillment of John the Baptist and his work through the Messiah. So Mark 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. All right, Mark reads, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So right away in Mark's gospel, the very first eight verses are the fulfillment of what Malachi and Isaiah have prophesied. And Mark isn't the only one to affirm that. But we see this in Matthew 3, Luke 3, and John 1. And at the beginning of each of these Gospels, as they are telling the story of Jesus' ministry, John is at the very front of that as he's preparing the way for the Messiah to come. So right away we should recognize that, okay, Malachi and Isaiah, they're speaking truth, and this prophecy is fulfilled, and John is this messenger, and Jesus is the Messiah that is to come. And quickly I just want to note that if you'll notice in verse 2, it says, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, I recognize that right away, and it was like, well, why doesn't it say Malachi? I just read Malachi. Why isn't it that verse? And as I kind of did some research, I found that people recognized Isaiah, and they knew the writings that he had recorded. He was credible, he was well-known, and people recognized his writing. And so when Mark and Matthew and John and like went about that in a really awkward order. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when they all go about writing that, it's like, and write Isaiah the prophet. I mean, people's attention is drawn immediately. Um, they recognize Isaiah writes it, and they say, well, I better start taking notes. If Isaiah says this, I better start going for it. So just a quick note on that, but that doesn't discredit Malachi's writing whatsoever. In fact, I think it even further emphasizes the point that he's trying to make and that the two prophets are complementing each other and that is something that we should be confident and say yeah this is true and this is authoritative um, and the fact that Isaiah is used in the gospel is only going to further prove the point that Malachi is trying to make so if John is being talked about in these four gospels heavily and being affirmed um, through this prophecy fulfillment obviously he must be a pretty char critical character 
in the Bible and in Jesus' ministry. Um, so just a little bit of background on who John is. Um, he's actually the close cousin of Jesus. So John, his mother Elizabeth, and uh, Jesus' mother Mary are actually sisters, in fact. So they are close relatives of one another. Similarly to Mary, the angel Gabriel appears to Zacharias, the father of John, and proclaims that him and his wife are going to bear a son. Now, this was a pretty outrageous prophecy for this couple because both of them are super old in age. Elizabeth is, in fact, barren, and they essentially laugh, and they say, there's, like, there's no way that's possible. There's no way we can have a child right now. Um, but in fact, John is born, and it's a miracle. And we can see these similarities begin to stack up between these two men, between John and Jesus, and we can see that you know, they're pretty similar guys in some of these prophecies that are, have been fulfilled. People are getting confused and saying, well, is John the Messiah? But John is super clear in his ministry by saying, I am not the Messiah. I am not Jesus. I'm just the messenger for what is to come. And I'm the messenger for something much greater. And I think this is super, it's just emphasized in verse, um, verse 7. It reads, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Um, when I was preparing for this and reading Mark, this verse stopped me right in my tracks, and it had me appreciate and tip my hat to John by saying, people are thinking you're the Messiah, but you're saying, I'm not that person. He's putting his selfish desires aside and telling people, I am not the one who can save, but the one who can save is just, is just on the way. Like, just hang tight. And even more so, he says, I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie the sandal of the Messiah. And I think that should be an extremely um, recognizable point by saying that John's respect and his humility for Jesus is one that is unmatched. He says that he can't even untie a dirty, stinky sandal of the Messiah, but instead is there to serve and is, and is not there to save, but to prepare people's hearts for what is to come. Um, and so kind of just discussing this role that John possesses in his ministry. Um, first of all, he is this link between the saving work of God in the Old Testament and now God's saving activity through Jesus Christ. It worked one way before, and now it's working a different way through Jesus' preparation, or through John's preparation so that Jesus can be known. Um, furthermore, he baptizes people. He's listening to people struggle, proclaiming the work of Christ, um, calling people to confess, and calling people to start changing their lives for the better. And even, even Jesus was baptized by John. And so that kind of made me wonder, okay, like, well then, this, he's doing good stuff, but like, why? And immediately I realized that the subject that he's dealing with and proclaiming is of the highest importance. It is unmatched to anything that is being proclaimed right now. And the fact that he's professing this with passion and how he is so dedicated to this should make us... Um, respect John for what he's doing, and that even to the point of him going to the grave on that, and that he is willing to die for what he believes, that should be an extremely important factor for us. And as that may seem extremely intangible for us in America, and that might not seem like a really prevalent idea that, you know, people are getting killed for their faith, we should recognize and say, like, how can I sacrifice myself and my desires to further the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about that in a few more minutes, but just to kind of present that idea really quickly. Um, and 
I also wonder, okay, like, why is John chosen for this role? You know, why couldn't it have been someone else? And I think we should realize that God chose John for this role because he saw the capability and he saw the potential that John could have and the impact that he could have and that no one else could match that. And through John's humility and his boldness and his bravery and his preaching and in his journey with Jesus, we see that on full display. Um, We see him, like I said before, just like baptizing and like calling people out for what they're doing wrong with boldness and saying, you guys need to prepare your hearts for what's to come because it's going to be great and you don't want to miss it. Uh, And ultimately, his role is to prepare the way for the Messiah. Um, As we read in Isaiah and Malachi, it says there's going to be a messenger who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And as I was studying, I was like, what does that even mean? Because I'm pretty sure I have a different definition from, you know, Malachi or Isaiah. And what, what does that even mean to them? So as I kind of went back to uh, the root of this question, I ended back up at Isaiah 40, verse 3. I'm going to read through verse 5 really quickly. Uh, it reads, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, this sounds like a pretty difficult task for one guy, right? They're telling, Isaiah's saying that he's going to prepare a highway, and he's going to, like, level hills, and do all these outrageous things. But, that's what he's being called to do. He's being called to smooth and level this path so that the Messiah may come. And that's a difficult task for one guy, but that's the coolest thing about Jesus' ministry is it's not just for one person. It's for John to bring people along and say, follow the same path that I'm walking on right now because I want you to take part in what I'm experiencing. And as I kind of dug into this idea of like preparing this way, I found myself at an article that was saying this concept of preparing comes from actually the Eastern uh, monarchs from many years ago. And they talked about how when they would be traveling through the, like a valley or a territory that was like untrafficked or uh, you know, hardly discovered, what they would do is they would send forerunners or scouts in front to go and observe the land and figure out what needed to be done so that the king could come through e- efficiently and effectively. And you know, maybe that was building bridges or just like filling in the cracks, smoothening the road, leveling hills, finding food, finding water, all that, all that work so that the king can come through effectively. Um, And I think that is just so true for what John is trying to do here and how we can see these similarities between these forerunners going out before the king to prepare a way and just over time, that road becomes smooth and becomes widened and it becomes a road that people can travel on. And that's because John started that journey and the Messiah followed closely behind him and they just kept pulling people onto this road and saying, take part in this, walk this journey with me. And over time, there's just all these people walking the same road and it's just becoming smooth and wide. Um, This was no easy task for John to start doing. It required boldness and required bravery and humility just right in the face of adversity so that this path could be made straight. Um, so John is not literally paving a path or making a highway, but rather he is um, preparing people's hearts and minds for this message that is to come, and that is Jesus. We see this in Luke 3, verses 1 through 20. Um, in this passage, 
John is actually calling out people's sin and their need for redemption, specifically the Pharisees. And he proclaims that people who are around and, and who are asking these questions of, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get ready? Um, he tells them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and to live generously and to live honestly and to live humbly. And when he communicates this message with them, he's preparing their hearts. He's preparing the way, laying the groundwork so that the Messiah can come through and teach them this message of redemption. So this should then make us wonder, like, why are we talking about this today? Why are we talking about in the season of Christmas, in this series of arrival, and in this Advent season of the coming of Jesus? And as we get ready in suspense for this coming of the Messiah, that's the same feeling that these Israelites, that were, were having the same emotion of they're waiting and they're eager for this Messiah to come. They don't know when it's going to happen, but they're, they're ready for it. And we should look at the beginning of this story and realize the foundations that had to be set in place so that the Messiah can come through efficiently and effectively. So what this kind of looks like for us today is that this path that John had paved is the same path in which we continue Jesus' ministry today. We are walking on the same path. We are continuing to pull people and on to the same journey that we're walking, and we are called to um, widen and smooth this path so that Yahweh can be expanded and known. Um, as I was kind of sharing in the beginning, for me, what that kind of looks like is that like, I found that in youth ministry. I found that in serving kids and in serving students and by affirming what I see in them. And that's one method that I found for how I can prepare the way for the Messiah. And that might look like something totally different for you guys. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, but that could be in, like, in your workplace, in your school, in your families, in your homes, in your relationships. It could be through literally any avenue, but that's up for you guys to decide and figure out what does that look like in my life? What does it look like to prepare the way for God? Um, now, this doesn't necessarily mean we all need to go hop in our cars and head to downtown Denver and start walking up and down Colfax, approaching strangers and saying, oh, do you need prayer or do you know who Jesus is? Like, if that works for you, all power to you. That freaks me out a lot, personally, and it's something I want to be better at. But if that works for you, like, go get it, go do it, and people's lives have been immensely changed through that. But more simply, what I think this means is by preparing the way, what that looks like is we need to let the person and character of Christ overflow into all areas of our life. Um, what that looks like is just loving the lost and caring for the broken, meeting people in their suffering, um, just sacrificing our time and resources to further the kingdom, and ultimately telling others about the love that our Creator has for them. Um, this shouldn't be something we go a day without telling someone or letting it seep into our other areas of life. Everything we do should be focused on this message, is that we have a love, um, or our Creator loves us so much that that needs to leak over into all areas of our life. It shouldn't just keep to ourselves. We need to tell people about this, right? Um, and furthermore, by proclaiming that, we prepare a new way for another event that's going to take place in history, and that is the second coming of Christ. So just as John prepared the first, um, you know, the initial birth of the Messiah, now we are awaiting and preparing for the second coming of Christ. And it's up to us to soften people's hearts and to tell them this grace and this mercy that is available to them for free. And this second coming is imminent, so it's in our hands to continue in John's footsteps by shaping and scouting the valley ahead of us so that we can open people's hearts to the most important information they will ever hear. And that is that 
our God loves them dearly and doesn't go a second without thinking about them. Um, just as John did, we prepare the way for Christ by communicating this message to the people around us, and that is with boldness and humility and courage, for this is our purpose as Christians. If you guys take part in this family and in this unity under Christ's name, this is your purpose. This is what you're being called into. You're being called to proclaim the message of Christ and his redemption and grace. Um, And as much as that might aggravate you or might make you say, I want to do my own thing, well, I'm sorry, but that's just not how it works. It's you are being called to live sacrificially and to set aside your own desires so that we can buy into what God has in store for humanity and what God has in store for us. Um, And that's just something we need to remind ourselves every day. And every time, you know, you might be serving or might be in ministry and you're like, oh, this is kind of rough right now. Um, I think that's just right when we have to remind ourselves that this life isn't ours. This is God's. And we are since he has given us eternal life to be with him, we ought to live sacrificially each and every day. Uh, so kind of in closing, just kind of what I want to leave you guys with is that just as John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah to come, as Christians we are called to pave the way for the Messiah's second coming. And I'd encourage you guys just to look at your own areas of life and your own areas of influence and figure out what does that look like? Like I said, like that looked like youth ministry for me. And Whatever I get called into next, I'll be waiting and I'll be obedient to what he calls me into. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy and complicated, but I'll be waiting at the edge of my seat and I'm going to buy into what he has in store for me. Um, So I encourage you guys just to find what that looks like in your life and to really think about that and process that as you go throughout your week this week and figure out where your time is being dedicated and where is your schedule being focused and figure out how you can prepare the way in those areas. So... Just keep that in mind this week. And as we close, I'd just like to leave you guys with um, a quick benediction and a reading from uh, my favorite Bible verse, which is Zephaniah 3.17. And I think this just gives a picture onto what the kind of love that God has for his creation and just what that looks like and what we can remind ourselves on a daily basis. So uh, let me just read this to you guys and we'll be closing. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So, Grace, may you be reminded of the character and the love that our Creator has for you as you go and prepare the way for our Messiah. And may you remember that our God is delighted in you and is persistent in his love. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you again just for this opportunity to come in unity in your name and as a congregation and as a family.